Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is eFleet as a Service with my friend Paul Gupis. Paul is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Zeem Solutions. That's Z-E-E-M Solutions, a company dedicated to accelerating commercial EV adoption. Zeem Solutions is a transportation as a service company with the mission of transforming the way fleets operate by providing an affordable solution for zero emissions transportation. Paul and his team at Zeem are pioneering a brand new way of doing business. This is a fascinating development in our business. Check out our conversation. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tomorrow. Website is tomorrow.io. Tomorrow has developed a weather intelligence and climate security platform that is custom built to help logistics and transportation companies to reduce the impact of weather on their operations. The cost of weather-related accidents, delays, inventory damage, service failures, hours of service problems, they're enormous. But what can we do? We can't change the weather. But we can do a better job of planning around the weather. And that's exactly what they do for you over at Tomorrow.io. They have their own satellites. This is the next generation of weather forecasting. Check them out at Tomorrow.io. I will put a link in the show notes so you can reach out and talk to them. So how's it going, Paul? Going great. How you doing, Joe? Doing great. Paul, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. So my name is Paul Gupis. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Zeem Solutions, and I'm located right outside of Los Angeles World Airports. So what does Zeem Solutions do? And that's Z-E-E-M Solutions. What do you guys do? We, we do what we call e-fleet as a service. What that means is that we acquire a large fleet of commercial electric vehicles This would be vans from class 2B all the way up to big tractors that you see on the road doing uh, over-the-road applications. We uh, package the vehicle as a lease along with what we call depot services where we offer charging, service and maintenance, overnight parking, and other services. And what we do is we package that together in three to five-year leases for customers. And uh, we do that as a location-based operation. So we're right at the airport offering that service to fleets. So let's just say I'm, uh, I have some vans. These be like Conline vans, those kind of like, let's just say I have three or four of those. You know, anything that a fleet would operate. So people movers, you know, that are moving customers from the airport yep. to the hotel or moving airport crews, or it could also be cargo vans that's moving product from warehouse to uh, endpoint and other delivery and postal services. So if I said I want, I've right now got a whole bunch of gas vehicles and I want to switch to electric, I could come to you and say, I want to replace my 10, 10 people movers with 10 electric people movers. You would buy those and then lease them to me? I actually, uh, we wouldn't buy your, let's say, diesel or gasoline, but what would happen is we'd offer an option where right. in our inventory today, we have electric vans and shuttles that we could turn you around and have you operating in literally tomorrow. So the idea is- I didn't mean you'd buy sorry, them from me. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea would be that we actually hold an inventory of everything, like I said, from uh, passenger mover, cargo vans, and all the way up to tractors 
where a customer could walk in the door, test drive an electric van, an electric shuttle or electric truck, see if they like it, and then immediately start operating out of our depot the next day using that product. It makes sense. And by the way, I think I think we're already starting to see this on the consumer side. So we all right now, we all want to go buy our own car, right? And the problem with owning your own car is most of the time it sits in your garage. It sits in your driveway. It sits in the parking lot where you work. And uh, I work from home like many other people. My car sometimes doesn't move at all. And But the idea of somebody said, yeah, can we use your car when you're not using it, Joe? I'd be like, hell no. Like Maybe a friend. I lend it to a friend. But more and more, it makes sense that we share these things. And you say, Joe, when if you need a car 20 hours a week, have a car 20 hours a week. And don't own the maintenance. Don't ever fill the tank. Let somebody else do all that. And I think we'll see that in the consumer side, but boy, does it make sense on the business side because maintenance and especially charging, that's no fun. Absolutely. And, you know, it's all about optimizing the asset. You know, you have a vehicle that is used for a purpose, which is moving people or moving product. And what happens is you have a very predictable cycle. You go in at seven o'clock in the morning, you grab the vehicle, you drop it off at five o'clock, you go home for the day you know, uh, maximizing that asset when you're not using it is definitely a part of how we're thinking about the future of transportation. Electric vehicles allow a opportunity for, of course, weekend usage or usage after hours when you're not actually using that for its typical daily duty cycle. So we also offer that service to those fleets that want to try to capture additional revenues to lower their total operating cost. So it's also part of our future uh, business and how we're driving for customers. So who's the sweet spot for you guys? You know, the sweet spot is the sort of small to medium size operator that wants to be at the airport, the port or the distribution center. So those customers, you know, have a difficult time, first of all, acquiring additional land to be able to park trucks and manage their fleet. So we provide them an opportunity to park that with us overnight. It's supervised. We're a 24 hour location. So it allows a small to medium sized fleet to expand. So those that would be our our sweet spot. Those operators that are trying to have a heavy operation out of, let's say, that port distribution center or airport. So uh, being right at the source is something that is very attractive to operators as well. And for those who are outside of California, you guys have, for good reason, um, more stringent requirements for emissions, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's part of what's happening. California tends to set the tone for what the rest of the United States is going to see. And being frank, not everybody's thrilled about being forced into the conversion into electric. The good news about what Zeme is doing is we're trying to match the total operating cost of the diesel counterpart. So for us, you know, we are very happy to be environmental, but we also understand that this is a business that needs to make money. And so at the end of the day, it's all about trying to take the incentives and what's being offered to be able to package that up for the fleet operator and match the total cost of the diesel. So now if you can turn around to your customer and say, I can make that same service for you, but do it in an electric vehicle, none of the counterparties are going to say no to that. Yeah. Well, and not so long ago, I, was, I, I told before we hit record, I was talking to the guys from the Propane Institute, Protein, Propane Whatever Center, and they were talking about Los Angeles. And they said, if you look in Los Angeles, they have a lot of kids have asthma there that they don't see elsewhere. And they've said they it's the... You guys have wonderful weather, but you also have that smog. And they said, so you said, you know, forget 
just being green for a minute, he goes, we got to put human health high on the list. We have to put the planet health on the list, but it also has to make some sort of business sense, right? And this is, um, it seems like a, a great solution for that. It very much is. I mean, the alternatives fuel industry, and a lot of people, again, are highly critical uh, of, of different segments of it. But I think that propane and CNG, electric, hydrogen, they all have room right. in the world. And, and California, again, is that proving ground. But absolutely, respiratory issues in the disadvantaged communities is definitely a priority for what the EPA and the federal government is trying to do. These types of trucking operations are in the disadvantaged communities. It is where, unfortunately, a lot of the respiratory issues are coming around. And clearly, battery electric in an environment like Los Angeles makes a lot of sense because that's where you are running a lot of shorter routes. If you're going into, let's say, other states throughout the Midwest, let's say, you're going much longer distance where electric vehicles don't make as much sense. But clearly in LA, New York City, and other major dense cities, it makes a lot of sense. So Paul, let's switch gears for a sec. Tell me a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Zeme. <laughs> so my background is I grew up in the Northeast, you know, had a strong stent on Wall Street in the beginning of my career for the first 20 years. And I focused a lot on clean energy, did a lot of that work in Western Europe where wind, solar, electric vehicles, hydro technology was very prominent and was at front focus. Started focusing on bringing and importing that kind of technology here into the United States, uh, which is how I landed on electric trucks and commercial EVs. So when and why did you start Zeme? What hole did you see in the market? So I had funded a commercial electric vehicle company that was the biggest, the first major entrant in the market called Smith Electric Vehicles. Through that investment, I understood what you do and don't do to try to make electric vehicles themselves successful, make sure you have the right customer to make it successful. And then, of course, layer in all the fleet management needs to make that successful. So what happened is after watching that investment fail, I came in to look and focus on the impediments which were the cost of the vehicles, trying to time the infrastructure with receiving the vehicle. And then number three, the major impediment was theft and uh, vandalism. So trying to take all three of those major impediments together and think about an application. We came across Zeem after you know doing literally hundreds of test drives and being in front of uh, fleet operators who were interested in the conversion to electric, but were highlighting again, those three major impediments. So those the those three were the first one was cost. So that's cost of the vehicle. Cost of the vehicle is just literally two and a half to three times the cost of a van or a tractor. So that's the number one. Number two was you know I need to tie my infrastructure. So I need to put in an EV charger by the time I receive my truck. So what happened is getting a level two charger, a slower charger, it's not quite as challenging. But if you're going to try to go for higher power charging or you're trying to convert a few vehicles or more that's where the major challenge starts to set in for infrastructure. In many cases, that takes half of a year to a year, and in some cases could take three to five years. So that was the second major impediment. And then that third major impediment, you know, they're, they're jumping fences to steal catalytic converters in the middle of the night. So the concern was, hey, I've got a you know, $40,000, $50,000 battery on this vehicle. Aren't they going to try to steal that? You know, you'd have to be Hercules to do that. But the reality is, is it's in their I'll mind. I'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. It's exactly right, Joe. Yeah. So how does Zeem solve these three problems, the cost of the vehicle, that infrastructure, and then also the theft and potential graffiti that happens to those systems? 
So number one, we all, we're all aware that there's a lot of federal and state incentives that are out there. I hate to have any kind of business that's dependent on either. But today, what they're doing is they're providing a, a little bit of a stepping stone to be able to cushion that. So number one, we come in and audit a fleet. We take a look at the incentives. We then go ahead and bundle all of the services together. So we provide the service out of a location that we manage. It's a 24-hour site. So we nail real estate that's right again at the airport port or distribution center. We then turn around and bundle the incentives along with the vehicle purchase. And then we already install a large hub of charging chargers. So in our facility today, we have 82 DC fast charge ports. That's a massive facility. So what we do is we leverage all of the charging that we have, provide that along with the vehicle lease. So bundling those two things together and then we also have the traditional fleet managers that operate out of our site. So again, we're a 24-hour operation where we're charging, plugging, unplugging, moving vehicles around, doing service and maintenance work. But we also have actual fleet managers that have managed large fleets before, and they act as a de facto fleet manager for that operator out of our site. So by taking all three of those services together, we can bundle all those costs, reduce it, package it together. And that's how we're coming up with the total cost that matches the diesel. Interesting. Interesting. By the way, don't want to get too off track, but I'll tell you my little story for just a sec. So I did a podcast. Well, I did a speech at a university probably 10 years ago. And I was talking about the iron, like metal skillet that you would use in the kitchen. Skillet hasn't changed since your great grandparents bought one. You'll, your grandkids will have the same one that your great grandparents did. And coating will be better. But they used to all be made in Wisconsin and they came to by train somewhere to you, to your grandma would have gone to the Northeast. Well, at some point that supply chain all changed. It stopped going rail. It went to China, right? So the skillets are made there. But one of the things when I was doing that research, we talked about why did it stop going by rail? Well, because we had in the sixties and seventies, a massive investment in infrastructure. And I'm not a big fan of the government being overly involved. I think they're too involved in some cases. But in, in if we're going to make this transition to green, and by the way, we've had some massive boondoggles on that for sure. But we've also had some successes. I know Tesla took some money, paid it all back. So we are seeing some. And I think this is always the challenge is like, how do we make sure that we're getting it the green and it's going to actually make business sense and I don't mind the government helping something that's going to make sense in this case. Usually I would say, stick to what you're good at. Nothing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I like that. I like if they're going to get an incentive, this seems like one that works. Because the incentive right now to buy like an electric vehicle, a consumer product, I'm like, I don't see that. That's basically, that's basically poor people paying for people to own a nice Tesla. <laughs> Yeah, I, I fully agree with that, Joe. I think it's, you know, we're very much categorized with the passenger vehicle market. I think that, you know, we, we are, shouldn't be. I agreed. You know, we've come out of the gate, made a big impact there. All the initial subsidies allowed for everybody who is interested in acquiring an electric vehicle that opportunity to do so. The good news is, you know, my DNA is more as an investment investor and investment banker. So I wanted to come into an industry, first of all, that it made financial sense, right? You have to start off there as much as I want to be environmental, and it's incredibly important for us at Zeem and our business. Number one, it has to be feasible and make financial sense. And then number two, it needs to be scalable. The good news is, is we're at that inflection point now. There's just not enough electric trucks. So that's the number one 
major impediment. The truck itself is so expensive. The infrastructure itself over time and with utilization really smooths out and becomes a profitable offering. It's just, again, that truck, the initial purchase of that vehicle is what really hurts you today. The good news is that's subsidizing over time, and you're starting to see those costs get a lot better. You're getting a more competitive product in the market, and then you're starting to get a lot more recognizable names like Volvo and Daimler and others that are coming to surface with good products that could be maintained and sustained over a long period of time. So our business model with utilization, you don't need subsidies. And that's the good news. Over the next two to three years, you're going to see prices coming down, the availability of batteries and charging infrastructure increasing. And I think you're going to see a good levelized cost. And then I think the extra perk on top is the clean side of this. Obviously, you know, you're going to want to ride behind an electric bus versus a diesel bus. To this day, you know, I think we all understand, you know, the difference in the two. I think it's pretty obvious which way you'd want to go. It's just if cost is not there and it's two to three times, I fully understand the resistance to go electric. But our business model is proving that you don't have to do that. and We could start doing that today. Right. My uh, friend, Matt McClellan over at Covenant, they're down in Chattanooga. He's Vice President of Sustainability and Innovation, I think is his title. But we were talking, we were both out West. We were in Vegas and then I saw him the next week. I saw him in Portland. He was visiting, I think, Daimler. But, you know, when I asked him about what he was looking at, he goes, he's talking big rigs, not not what we're talking about. But he said, I kept asking him. And he finally said, Joe, there is no flux capacitor coming as fast what you're getting at. But one of the things I, I've learned from Matt is, Covenant's a very big trucking company. And he went and asked, I think their top 10 customers, names we would all recognize. Are you interested in environmental? Each one of them said, yes, very much in, in, interested. So we all hear ESG. It's coming kind of politicized, but I don't. So I always think the same thing. We have to do something that's environmental, that makes sense financially. And that's what you're talking about is you don't want it to just be like, hey, we're green. We're losing a... We're losing money hand over fist, but it's green. That that isn't going to work. That's a short-term solution. It has to be ultimately good for the planet, good for people, and uh, good for profit, or it's not sustainable. We need all three. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, the unfortunate reality of the world is you got to start off on the third one first. It's got to make money. You know, that's really how Zeme approached this business model. Again, because my DNA is in finance, I had realized as much as the uh, green story is great and consumers want it, you're not going to get any of these companies to pivot. And Matt at Covenant is a great example. Yeah, they're all being demanded to start running electric vehicles. And then they run into the infrastructure issue and say, we're trying to do this, but we can't move at the pace that everybody wants. And then when you actually look at the feasibility of it, it's just off the charts, right? So it's a business model like ours that tries to make sense for somebody like Matt, who's forced, right? As a sustainability manager, they want to meet these goals. At the same time, there's profitability that underlies the foundation of these companies. The good news is by bundling this all together, we have come up with a good model. And there are other competitors like us that are coming up with similar types of business models to help meet this. So the good news is, you know, we're not that far off from meeting that total cost of operation. So you're doing this in Los Angeles, which is a great place to start, given they do have higher emissions uh, standards in California. Will you open other locations? We are. We're, we're very actively right now pursuing other depots. 
So Long Beach, uh, Newark, New Jersey, Savannah and Houston and SeaTac, Washington are the immediate next moves. The majority of those are going to be addressing port operations. So it's going to be that heavy truck traffic, that trailer traffic coming out of the ports and doing their short haul routes. I was just in Savannah last week uh, with the Transportation Marketing Sales Association. I stayed at the Hyatt and by the way, Savannah's gorgeous, great conference there at TMSA, but there is that heavy truck traffic. And that is, I was down there, this is this is mid-June, very steamy in, in uh, Savannah this time of year. So I can see they have an, you know, a fast growing region. They are going to want something that is clean in that region. It's it's coming. I mean, to your point, California might be there first because of the smog and other issues, but many other places are right behind it. Absolutely. And Savannah's a really interesting one to pull up because they're now growing as one of the top five major ports in the United States. And the same customers that are in Long Beach and in Newark that are demanding sustainability, they're obviously operating as well in Savannah. So what happens is, you know, the, the idea here is, is to make sure we have a business model at Zeem that, you know, Los Angeles, a very expensive market, we need to be able to scale into a market like Savannah, which is not as expensive and meet the same type of goals, right? In a very different political environment, let's say. But the idea here is, is to make sure that you have a cost, a total cost of operation that makes sense. So for me, I try to keep it real simple, remove the politics and make sure that there's a business model, a financial business model that makes sense for any operator, any business to come in and say, if I convert to an electric truck, am I going to lose money? What do I have to gain? And I think that the number one place that we start is, let's assume that you're not going to gain anything from being environmental. It has to be on the financial side. And so by packaging it and offering it the way that we do, I could confidently tell you, we could deliver what that customer is looking for. And then in the next three to five years, what's good is costs are going to come down. We're going to be able to offer this at their location where they could actually meet the same goals and the same cost of operation. Yep. And I will say I've had two people on my podcast so far. I think two, I've probably done 400 podcasts. Two companies were B Corps. One got bought up by Lineage. I think it was called uh, Crystal Creek Logistics. They were B Corp and Flock Freight was just on my podcast, Oren. And both, when you ask them, why did you become a B Corp? And B Corp, I don't want to even get into it. Look it up if you don't know what it is. But both of them said, first thing, we do get business from it. And that was the first thing they said. So that I do believe that there is is a, an advantage in a market that is very commoditized, transportation logistics. If you can say we're green and it, and we're not, you know, 20% higher, you're going to be, you're going to find certain customers. And by the way, Walmart continues to invest in cleaner transportation solution. So it, it is, you got to call them a market leader in transportation. So take us through a case study, Paul, what would it look like? Let's give, you don't have to mention names obviously, but tell us a, like a case study, how it worked for them. I think, you know, we have some that are public, right? So one to bring up who's been a really great progressive freight forwarder is a group called Kuna Nagle. Oh, well, uh, Nagle, you know, they're the single largest by air and by sea, you know, in logistics. So what's happened is, you know, they uh, were a business case that started with us about two years ago. Very weary because, you know, we're a new type of business model. They've never seen anything like us before. They're a very, very conservative group. They don't really own a lot of trucks themselves. They work with operators across the country, literally thousands of them. 
that operate equipment for them and do these deliveries. So what happened with them is they came to us and said, you know, we have a demand from all of our, our customers to be delivering an electric. How do we do this? And uh, they were the ones who came in very hard leaning. They started off with some bobtails. So they came in with some box trucks, class five. They also added some class six bobtails and then some tractors. And what they did is they started operating with us. And after a good half of a year, started to recognize this is working. Number one. Number two, we're at a total cost that this is during fuel skyrocketing, by the way. So we had the average price of diesel go from about $4.50 to as high as $6 and change. So what happened is the pricing that we were charging them at the time was actually far lower than operating a diesel vehicle. So it became very easy for them at the end of last year to finally say, okay, we've been running this for a while. We didn't want to have our name out there associated with this in case there was some failures and it didn't work. And now we're ready to come out and realize like this is working and we need to figure out how to do this in other areas like Chicago and New York and so on. So that would be a great example of a very conservative freight forwarder that is being uh, told by their customer. Their customers are, you know, the Dior's of the world and Burberry and other major fashion companies or auto parts companies saying, we need to figure this out. And they're turning to the freight forwarder for that. So they went, did the work, they took the risk. They actually cushioned a lot of the extra cost. So they went to their operators and said, if it costs, as an example, $1,000 a month to make this route, and it's going to cost $1,500 in an electric vehicle, they covered that cost to prove that there is an opportunity to do this. That would be a great example of a partnership with Zeem, working with a freight forwarder like Kuna Nagel, and actually delivering on what the customers want, and then having their operator actually make money and actually at a cost lower than the diesel. So I think that was a great situation of starting two years ago, now being two years later and understanding what kind of equipment to use, going through some of the stumbling blocks and coming out the other side very successfully. Yep. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you, small parcel shippers, listen up. I want to help you save 40% on your small parcel shipping. So if you're an e-commerce guy or you're a warehousing guy and you do a lot of e-commerce shipments, listen up. I know we're all used to using the big guys. You have UPS, you have FedEx, you might be able to also use uh, the Postal Service. And we really haven't had a choice until now. Well, we all know there's these good regional carriers out there, but very few people take advantage because they don't have that national reach. Well, they do now because my friends over at Tusk Logistics, that's T-U-S-K Logistics, put together technology that connects all these great regional carriers. And regional carriers, by the way, have better pricing. They have better service in the regions they serve. And there's no reason not to use them now because now you can have national national reach with the regionals. And again, the guys over at Tusk Logistics, they have got great technology, and they've also got negotiated rates, pre-negotiated rates with these small parcel carriers. So you get better service, big savings, and you get the Tusk technology that connects it all, and you get Tusk's great customer service. You're going to get better customer service with Ben Emmerich and his team and uh, than you'll ever get at the big guys. So check them out. Tusk Logistics, that's T-U-S-K, logistics.com. And right at the top, it says, get started. Hit that button and save yourself 40%. So, you know, I know you guys are focused on electric, but I could see a time when somebody says, we are an operator, we operate trucks, versus we are an owner, we 
we own and maintain and lease out vehicles. That's it. And it's just a, the next level of specialization. This is a very competitive business. We've seen during COVID, there was a lot of people got rich, moving freight, and then um, the year after they're going out of business. And and it's this is not a nice to have product in our economy. We need we need these trucks moving. <laughs> and so I like I would say when somebody's making that move from we own all these and they're diesel or gas and moving over to Zeme, I think one of the real challenges, and you probably are really good at it given your background, is doing the math right and recognizing all the things you no longer have to manage in your business. And if I, I think if you just had the if you if you look at it um simplistically, you might leave money savings that you might not recognize the savings that are out there. Fully agreed. I mean, for me, I would want predictability. So number one, being able to have a flat cost over time rather than something that's moving around on maintenance and fuel. That's one of the biggest advantages here is just having this flat cost. You want to just make sure the technology works. And if the technology works, then it becomes much easier to understand. And if I'm a conservative transportation operator, I would say, okay, I need three to five years to really show me that this is sustainable. That's why I look at our depots and I say, okay, for the next three to five years, we're going to be proving to operators across the country that electrification is here to stay. And then after three to five years, when they realize, hey, this works, it starts every day, it does the same duty, and I have this flat cost, then they're going to say, okay, now I'm ready for it at my facility. So today we're building these depots and we'll scale them across the country. And then eventually fleets will start to realize, hey, can you build that? at my facility. Oh, so that's, that's the long the term. That's the long term because today it's a proof of concept. Tell me why this, you know, truck is three times the cost of a diesel. The only reason why is because they're making 500 or 1000 pieces versus, you know, 100,000 diesels where they could levelize that cost and they've got economies of scale. So today it's like I'm going to tap I'm going to put a toe into the EV market or into the hydrogen market. I'm going to make a limited amount of vehicles, but I have an R&D cost and the gentleman or woman sitting at the top of that has to manage that, try to figure out how to make some of that money back. We want to eliminate that. I think that's where the subsidies are very powerful. Come in and close that gap for some of these OEMs. And most importantly, let the operator get the advantage, right? Not Zeme. We can ingratiate ourselves, Joe, and go out and say, hey, we're going to get a lot of this incentive money. And we'll have this gap of 12 to 24 months where we could be sipping Mai Tais on the beach. Or we can look and say, let's subsidize this cost and show this is scalable across the country. The equipment is here to stay. It's not a fad. And then go back and show those operators that a levelized predictable cost moving from a CapEx to an OpEx is going to be the big move for fleets going forward. So for those who are not the uh, finance type like you, what is the difference between CapEx and OpEx for them? So on a CapEx perspective, if you're trying to buy an electric truck and put in an EV charger at your facility... I mean, you're, you're going into seven figures, unfortunately. And uh, so immediately, if you want to buy a diesel truck at $150,000 versus spend a million dollars to trial something, it's just not going to happen. So in this case, everybody wants to go electric. So it's like, hey, how can I really focus on a month to month basis as opposed to this huge upfront capital outlay? So the CapEx piece is, let me remove this huge capital outlay. Zeme will buy the truck. Zeme already has the infrastructure in place. So what happens is we could just turn around on a month-to-month basis. So it's pretty simple. For us, 
with decent credit, and it doesn't have to be perfect because we know not everybody is perfect. You can operate out of our depot by putting a down payment equivalent to your first month payment and your first payment and you're out the door. So rather than putting out, you know, a million dollars or half of a million and financing the other half, you could get out of the gate with a class eight tractor, for example, for, you know, 14 to $15,000. So it's taking that huge upfront money and really looking over a three to five year period of time. Zeem is smoothing that CapEx piece of it out for you. Yeah. And, and I think another thing, and this is why we outsource stuff. This is half the people on my podcast are outsourced logistics or transportation or down to uh, Columbia. We outsource stuff and it saves us money usually, but also it allows us to focus on our business. And with you guys taking care of the vehicles, I, I, I no longer have to have that on my list of things to do. And I can focus more on my customers and growing my own business. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, I used to be a very active trader on Wall Street. What happened is, you know, Wall Street analysts are very, very smart. Transportation directors had to become really smart on how to hedge fuel. They became some of the best traders out there. The moment you start bringing in electricity, they stop and say, oh, I just wrapped my hands around how to make sure that I could hedge myself on the fuel side. The good news is this gives them good predictability, levelized costs. It's just wrapping your head around a new way to do business. And that's what electric vehicles does. So, you know, Zeem, you're displacing your vehicle and you're starting at a different spot. You're not at your location. So some of that psychological change of operation, that's ultimately what you got to wrap your head around in the beginning of this. And once you do that, you start to realize all the other benefits are there. Levelized cost, no needing to fuel uh, queue up at a fueling station, no more, uh, much more limited maintenance and doing the maintenance at night while the vehicle is sitting and dwelling. So there's a lot of benefits to understanding the new way of uh, doing business. I'm imagining some of them say, I don't need my own location anymore. If I've got all my, all my trucks are at Zeem, I'm closing to my, I'm no, especially in Los Angeles or near Long Beach. I can't imagine it's cheap rent out that way. Such a good point. I mean, we're a mile and a quarter away from LAX. Any small to medium sized fleet just couldn't afford to be here. It was part of how we approached this. You have to be at the airport. You have to be at the port. You have to be in the distribution centers to make this work. If you have to take an electric truck and even run it more than five miles away to, to start your route, you know, in many cases, depending on the equipment, you're already giving up five to 10% of your range. So it just doesn't work. So a big part of what we did, Joe, in the beginning of the business, and we still actively do this, we made over 1 million phone calls to fleets across the country. And what we did and how we arrived at LAX within a five mile radius of our site, we had over uh, 400 fleets that were qualified that we've spoken to that have given us all their information. And what happened is they equated to about 8,000 vehicles in those 400 fleets. And it told us how many buses, tractors, vans, shuttles. And then we created a vehicle mix around that. So what we did is we knew we had an offering and a portfolio of vehicles that would fit those fleets operating around LAX. So a lot of thought went into first locations and all the other locations that were opening. So I think you're going to see quite a bit more coming from us and really understanding how to address different kinds of fleets across the country. Yeah. You know, and I think that you and operators like you are just going to keep getting better and better and better. And the cost of this is going to keep going down. It reminds me years ago, there's a trucking company up here in Michigan and that down to Texas every day. So if you go, the, the I think 60% of the stuff that goes back and forth over the borders, automotive stuff. So 
they they had converted a few of their vehicles to compressed natural gas. And I remember I said, well, that's great. You got the tank here. What happens halfway to Texas when you need, and they go, and then they showed me a picture and they just they say, this guy said he'll, and it was a picture of T Boone Pickens on their phone. The guy was like 90 at the time he's passed away now, but he said, I'll put a tank anywhere you empty it. <laughs> and I was thinking the same probably applies for you is like where I need it here. You're going to be there. I mean, you're growing already to a few locations that are critical and it's just going to continue. I love, I love what you're doing. Thank you very much, Joe. And we're thinking about the same concept that T. Boone's Pickens uh, just laid out to you. Could we put, you know, for example, large amounts of batteries into the back of a container and then deliver it to a source or distribution spot and power up trucks? We're very much, that's all we're thinking about. So if we're waking up and sleeping and only thinking about this, this allows us to create good applications, good solutions about how to actually meet these. Because again, quite frankly, not everybody wants to come to LAX to charge at our facility. So we're thinking about how could we move, let's say a portion of our facility onto their site and actually action and deliver some of these services. So you'll be seeing a lot more of that type of innovation coming from us. Wait, I I know you you guys have just begun. I mean, you've been around for a while, but you've got just begun. I mean, you're going to end up with locations all over the place, and uh, you know more vehicles than most of the major trucking companies. <laughs> you're exactly right. I mean, in our plan, in the next eighteen months, we're going to have upwards of a thousand vehicles in our fleet, all of them being commercial electric, and the large portion, I would say, probably eighty five percent of that will be Class A tractors. So we've been cutting our teeth on this. Uh, December 2021 was our first contracted customer with the vehicle chargers and our operations. So we stumbled out of the gate in the beginning and, and you know, figured out what to do, what not to do. And now that uh, we're a good year and a half to two years into this almost, we've uh, started to really understand the way forward, how to rinse, repeat, how to do this and scale it across the country and keep costs low. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. I was just, as, as I was thinking about this is it seems like data all of a sudden when you have that many assets in a region you're all of a sudden going to have really good data on where your trucks go every day it's exactly right today we're doing 150 to 200 charge sessions a day so we get to see you know nine different oems that come in and out of our lot so everybody from a nicola to a volvo to a daimler and then all the nascent guys we have them coming in we see the charger data we see the route analysis the route data that comes from the customers. Plus, we're also doing ride share and we're working with some of the big car rental companies. So we're getting to see what a Tesla and a Kia and a Mazda and everybody in between, what those charge sessions look like, those charge curves, how to best meet those needs. So again, commercial and fleet only, not looking at it from you know going into a target parking lot, trying to tap that charger, but really looking at large scale coming in with huge utilization, packing lots of chargers in there, but making sure that they're staffed. Not one single customer pulls into our depot and pulls out a charge port and plugs it in. Our people do all of that work. Right. And every day when a vehicle comes in and out, we get to understand, was there a scratch on that vehicle before uh, when it entered back into the depot before it left? What is the state of charge? How many miles on that vehicle? Was there any issues that you had while you're on route? All those things we handle as part of our service. Yeah, I, I you mentioned predictable earlier on. I'm from automotive background, and so we always would have would start with the factory, right? We want everything to be very predictable. We have processes, and I, you you can look at the supply chain. 
uh, the the it's just a giant outdoor factory that spreads thousands of miles. But I still want predictability in that. I still and, and we have a problem with truck drivers. We lose them. We've trained tons of truck drivers who no longer work in the space. And one of the reasons I think they don't work in the space is the lack of predictability. And I I see more and more this happening where people say we're going to make this predictable by buying having drop and hook. And I can see that being work where you say, I took it to LA. I dropped it exactly when I got there. I didn't wait three hours. I didn't miss my kid's ball game the next day. I dropped and I drove back out of LA as opposed to what we have very common, very unpredictable how long it's going to take to load and unload. And the ELD mandates made that even more important. But I think also if you want to have turnover, just keep doing what we're doing. I I, I say this all the time on my podcast, who is raising truck drivers? Nobody is because it's not a, it's not a job that's attractive and we need to make that a good job again. And part of that is giving predictability where you say, I will have you home Friday night for your kid's ball game. I think you bring up such a good point. And the younger generation, you know, we both have white hair on our heads here. You know, the younger generation is pretty hard to get motivated around trucking, right? When you start talking about an electric vehicle, then they get a little bit more interested. But I think it's addressing a really important point. We spoke earlier about a technology that brings a long haul to a short distance route. What's good about short distance is the insurance policies are really expensive for new drivers. So if you get a driver that's unseasoned, less than five years, let's say, the over-the-road cost to insure that driver is could be as much as 10x of what it would be with a seasoned driver. So what's great about EV and what I learned in, in focusing on these short-haul applications, if you get a unseasoned driver running short haul, less than 100 miles a day, the insurance costs are much lower. So it allows transportation fleets to do a lot more hiring and training. Now, suddenly the EV industry, by doing that short haul, is getting a whole new set of drivers back on the road. And if you're doing that with EV, I think they feel a little bit better about it. And then the training, they feel like uh, they're part of something that's much bigger, right? That green piece and the environmental piece does kick in and is meaningful for some of the newer generation drivers. So I think the workforce piece is important because you're right. The older drivers, they're right now just retiring and stepping off because there's too much to do and it's getting too competitive. So that next generation driver is hard to understand who that's going to be. So we want to see a lot more female drivers. We want to see a lot more younger drivers coming in. We are seeing that and they tend to be very interested around electric vehicles. So hoping that's going to spark a whole new generation of drivers. Yep. And one other thing, Recently, I, I forgot the name of the company now. I should remember it. But uh, we were talking, they have a, a fleet fleet management software. And they t- tell you, hey, you, you, need to, you need to get your brakes serviced in the next 3,000 miles, right? And one of the problems we have is not only do we have a driver shortage, we have a, a driver mechanic shortage. So when that vehicle that I paid a small fortune for is sitting on the side of the road because I didn't know to get it serviced, that's an unpredictable, I'm an unpredictable, and it's going to cost me a week. And it's an asset that is not working for me when I'm paying for it. And it's like our containers, our trucks, everything that we bought that we invested in, we want those working 24 seven. And what you've done by having you guys doing the maintenance, everything, that's again, a very predictable, I never have a walk home situation. I never have a place where I'm waiting a day for a part or waiting two days for a mechanic. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the Charger X has a good little hub. As soon as you plug in, which you usually have to do just about every day, you're getting a sort of source of truth in the health of the vehicle. Was there an anomaly? You know, was there a malfunction in the vehicle? You get to see it very, very early on. And because we own the assets and we nurture them and they stay at our, they domicile at our, our spot, we are very motivated to keep them up and, and keep the state of health as, as good as possible. So what's good is that's a good benefit back to the customer. So it works all the way around. You know, if we could take care of that asset, make sure that we extend the life of that asset, we make more money, the customer gets better operation from it. It's a win-win all the way around. Yep. So Paul, I'm going to go over my time, I'm afraid. So <laughs> let's wrap this bad boy up. What's next for you? What's next for Zeme Solutions? And then what's next for the industry in regards to what we talked about today? So next for us is, you know, opening, continuing to open more depots and execute on this. I think uh, the industry, what we're looking at is more new products coming from larger OEMs. I think we're going to start to see pricing coming down and we're going to see slightly better availability on infrastructure. I think the infrastructure is the biggest concern to try to scale and get EV adoption going. So for Zeme, we're going to continue to be a dog and a bone focused on that solution. Excellent. Excellent. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. And who is the sweet spot again for you? Sweet spot would be, you know, that uh, fleet operator, that small to medium sized fleet operator. So anybody with sort of sub 50 units could very much leverage what we're doing and maximize their total cost that would be the sweet spot. So people mover, cargo movers that are sitting in the dense city environment running 200 miles or less, that's our sweet spot. Excellent. Excellent. So I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I talk to? You know, there are several fleets that are really leading the way for electrification. I would say that NFI is a long, uh, is a, a, a drayage operator that's really trying to figure this out, has a large fleet of vehicles already and has been cutting their teeth. I would say that they're a really good group to be focused on. Excellent. So if you can introduce me to someone from NFI, I'm happy to talk to them. We'll, we'll, even, re- we'll even reference Zeme Solutions. So what conferences will we see in your, you and your team at? We're doing everything on the drayage and, and of course, commercial trucking side. But every year, you're always going to see us at ACT. ACT is the largest one out there. Draytech is what all is ACT? Stuff. I don't think I've heard that one. That's uh, Advanced Clean Transportation. Um, Advanced Clean Transportation holds the largest yearly event for commercial EVs. And then the other one would be uh, T- Work Truck Week is where you're also seeing a lot of commercial EV innovation coming to the market. Excellent. Excellent. Well, this is the future. You gave us a little glimpse of it. I love it. Well, thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, just when I just when I started thinking, you know, how are we going to make this happen? And it it happens like one piece at a time. And it's, you know, I think sometimes you hear the political rhetoric, everything becomes political, and you're like, and I, my mother who's in her eighties goes, "Is everybody supposed to be buying an eighty thousand dollar electric vehicle?" I was like, <laughs> I spent my whole career in automotive, and I'm like, I have no idea, mom, but I don't think so. <laughs> But this right. is where it can start and make sense. That's right. And you have to make logical sense for those that are getting forced into this. There is a good solution. So I'm glad that you have us on to be able to let your viewers and, and listeners know that there are other options. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.
You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.